Welcome back to the Label 1976 podcast. I am your host, True Straub. How y'all doing out there in uh, the recession that we're not calling a recession? <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny at all. I remember the last one, um, I want to say what, the, that happened in 2008. Remember that? 2008 all the way to 2010, I want to say. Yeah, um, that was those years right there. I moved to Texas, actually, from Georgia. Because Georgia was hit really hard. Almost as hard as it get, it's getting hit right now. Uh, yeah, everything is a million dollars. Um, everything is about two more dollars more than, than what it was uh, last week, week before. At the grocery store. It's crazy. Kroger Plus card coming in handy. Coupons coming in handy. Uh, Publix needs a Publix uh, Plus card. Bogos ain't doing nothing for me, boo. Just because something is $5. What is it? Uh, buy five, get one free. What is that going to do for me? It's still a million dollars. No, Kroger actually has uh, money off of their stuff. I don't really believe in the whole buy two, buy three, get one free. No, why I got to buy all that to get one free? Why can't it just everything be three dollars? Why don't you just give me individually everything for three dollars? <laughs> I don't. That kind of stuff just confuses me. I don't want your bogo. I don't want to buy four and five and six of this. This ain't Sam's Club. This ain't Sam's Club. What's the other one? Uh, Costco this ain't that this is a regular grocery store I don't want to buy a million to get one for free I just want it already to be a low price like Kroger I know in some states you guys don't have Kroger I think you guys have like Ingles or I think uh, I think you guys have Harrison Teeter or Food Lion so yeah I think Harrison Teeter would be the equivalent to Publix and if you want to get real hoity-toity through the Trader Joe's and the Whole Foods who got that kind of money $8 butter you know, these days, man, you're going to have to start being like, you know, you want to take me on a date, take me grocery shopping. Impress me by taking me grocery shopping. Ain't nobody got time to be going uh, out to eat for $200 when you can give me $200 uh, and take me to Publix and we can sit in the deli and eat. <laughs> That's what it's going to end up coming down to. It's going to end up coming down to that. If you want to do something hot and special for me, take me to Whole Foods and get everything on this list right here. That's how you, that's how, that's a high value date. Because I'm a high value woman that needs some groceries in this recession. Speaking of recession and going into my things you possibly perhaps didn't know, I found this story um, about this professor at this college called the Old Dominion University. And this is actually up in Virginia. This story actually dropped last year, but I don't think it got a lot of attention worldwide, the attention that it should have. I think it kind of um, fell by the wayside. Um, but it's interesting now because I've been hearing in the news uh, little tidbits here and there on how this certain category of people are trying to align themselves with the LGBTQIA community. So, um, you know, it's, it's Pride this month. This is um, Gay Pride this month. Um, so the LGBT don't want to be affiliated at all with this group, and rightfully so. Not at all. So back in November, a professor who said pedophiles should be called minor attracted persons agreed to resign. Now, it was a university, um, a Virginia University assistant professor who argued it wasn't necessarily immoral for adults to be sexually attracted to kids um, has agreed to resign after facing intense backlash, as he should have. So it looks like Old Dominion University back then revealed in a statement that Alan Walker, 34, 
would be stepping down as an assistant professor of sociology and criminal justice. Walker was placed on administrative leave on November 16th after a firestorm erupted over the educator's controversial argument that pedophiles should be referred to as minor attracted persons. Now, the assistant professor who's transgender and uses the pronouns they and them will remain, um, he actually remained in his position until his contract expired May of this year. So the university at the time had been facing calls to fire Walker after the educator made the comment earlier in the month um, of, of 2021, the end of last year, um, while discussing their research in an interview with this child protection organization, Walker insisted it was important to use the term minor attracted persons instead of pedophile because it's less stigma stigmatizing. Just a lot of concern for uh, how pedophiles feel. That's what I'm getting from this. But at any rate, critics, um, however, argued that Walker's terminology destigmatized de sex offenders, which it did, which it would. So you don't want to call pedophiles pedophiles because it stigmatizes them as human beings. Okay, so you would rather call them minor attracted persons. Uh, I mean, both, both to me seem horrible. Both to me are are still are just as one is bad, just as bad as the other. And what's even worse is what they both mean. So it is what it is. Um, an online petition calling for Walker's removal back then gained fourteen thousand signatures as of the time of the actual um, statement was made. So in one of the statements, when Walker um, sent his resignation in, he insisted the research was intended to prevent child sexual abuse and better understanding of would-be sex offenders. So he was stating that his research was mischaracterized by some in the media and online, partly on the basis of his trans identity. So as a result, he stated, multiple threats were made against me and the campus community generally. The university's president, Brian O. Hempfield, described Walker stepping down as the best way to move forward. Walker, the professor, um, had actually written a book titled Long Dark Shadow and it's uh, subphrased Minor Attracted People in Their Pursuit of Dignity. So it states that um, he, had er he had earlier acknowledged that the use of the term minor attracted persons suggests to some that it's okay to be attracted to children. And see, that was where the problem came in. Because I don't, because you can say on one hand that when you say minor attracted attracted individuals, we know that you mean that you're attracted to children because they're minors. But then also, you can flip it and make it not be that difficult if someone's ignorant and, and it doesn't sound as bad because you're using the term minor. Minor meaning small. So it depends on which way you're using it, right? Or looking at it to be minor, meaning it's a small offense when it's a huge deal. And why are we trying to rename what somebody is anyway? I mean, what's the point in renaming a pedophile? I don't get it. Now, the actual professor has a degree in sociology, so maybe they were trying to take something deeper into the psyche of a pedophile. So I can understand what they're, what they're saying by going deeper and trying to study the mind of someone like that. So maybe that's the, the way he was trying to come at it. So he stated from his per perspective that there's no more morality or immorality attached to the attraction to anyone because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. In other words, it's not who we're attracted to that's either okay or not okay. It's our behavior in responding to that attraction 
that they are either okay or not okay. Walker said sex child, well, child sex abuse is never, ever okay, but that having sexual urges towards children isn't necessarily wrong as long as their carnal desires aren't acted upon. <sighs> okay, that is just a lot to unpack. So you feel like somebody would be honest enough to tell you that they're attracted to your children, that they're attracted to children. You're just going to say, okay, well, you're a minor attracted adult <laughs> and I understand that you're attracted to them but as long as you don't um, act on that urge then you're fine you can't help who you're attracted to all right on one hand you can feel that way and on another hand you can choose to not be around anyone like that and get them some help behind a wall because I, I still just don't understand what what will you do with that information? That They can't, it, it's, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I think I needed somebody here with me to tackle this with me because this is not making any damn sense to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, had a technical difficulty. All right, so that was that one. And my second things you possibly perhaps didn't know. Next week, guys, they are starting Senate hearings on UFOs. Yes, you heard me right. They are starting Senate hearings next week on sightings of UFOs. It's happening. And these are actually going to be the second set because they started in May. And I was unaware of the ones that started in May. But these new set, this new set of um, hearings is going to be next week. Um, the middle of next week, I think. I need to get the exact date because I am going to be watching them like I'm watching these January 6th hearings. Um so basically with these, the military's UFO database now has info from about 400 reported incidents. It keeps happening. More and more people are seeing things and more people are catching things on video. So it's kind of hard to ignore it at this point. And they've actually given UFOs a different name now. They're calling them UAPs. UAP stands for Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon. Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon. I everybody is trying to rename things that have been in place since the beginning of time i'm still going to call them ufos because unexplained aerial phenomenon i'm going to forget that <laughs> just know i'm going to forget that uaps no ufos um so yeah they're basically saying that sightings have been increasing it looks like a lot the government is trying to cite improved sensors um, that have been improved sensors in nasa um, on certain drones that we have and also an increased use of drones by civilians and other non-military unmanned aerial systems. Also, they're trying to um, blame it on aerial clutter, such as Marler balloons, um, causing an uptick in uh, unidentified flying objects. Um, nothing that they found thus far has been extraterrestrial that they will let us know about, of course, you know, since the Roswell, uh, the Roswell incident. They're stating that many of the latest entries do not have any sensor data. So a lot of the sensor data that they're looking for is of government, government sensor data, anything that we can pick up in the air, that the government can pick up in the air. Now, the latest installments of these stories are coming from people coming forward with older stories that they chose not to report at the time. So that's evidence that the military's drive to destigmatize such reporting is working he added so you know like a lot of people are scared to come forward because as soon as people started coming forward back in the day about ufos and seeing things and being abducted 
people would automatically not believe them or label them as crazy. Um, I've stated it before. I don't believe that we're the only ones in this universe, as vast as this universe is, and how many planets they continue to discover like once every two years, you know, and they're still, they're steady trying to go to space, steady trying to find another planet that can be um, inhabited and that has water, that's, that has oxygen that someone else can survive on. I don't know why y'all think, or if you do think that they're not doing these things for a reason, they're not discovering or exploring space, been trying to discover space since the beginning of all of our lives. So there is something up there out there or it's already here um, and just trying to. So when they say something like when as soon as I see the word destigmatize um, something, I'm just thinking that they're trying to slowly ease us into letting us know what's really up. So I'm going to pay attention to all these hearings because I'm interested. And then also I just want to know because I want to know what's up and what's going on for real. Um so they're saying that Navy and Air Force crews now have step-by-step -step, uh, procedures for reporting UFOs on their kneeboard in the cockpit. So I'm definitely looking forward to these hearings. I will be staying tuned. And that is the end of things you possibly perhaps didn't know. I hope you learned something. In honor of National Zoo and Aquarium Month, one of the June months, I'm going to go ahead and go into the story about SeaWorld and the orcas that they used to house at SeaWorld. Now, when I was in, I want to say ninth grade, um, our course class, our course teacher, she did a field trip uh, for us to SeaWorld. So we actually got to go to SeaWorld. We all got ponchos, sat um, like on the front row, and we actually got to see Shamu perform. If you've never seen it, you know, it was a, it was a great sight to behold. It was. And that and being that young, you don't know that these whales are in captivity. You don't know the ins and outs of, of that or anything. But as the years progressed and I got older, you know, you start to really look at animals being in captivity. You see that, oh, this is like jail for animals. You know, you kind of start to to look deeper into stuff and see that this isn't right, that they're keep animals contained for his whole life. And this is like these are creatures that are supposed to. Uh, swim for like thousands of miles and just be free and this is God's gift to the earth and you've got it like in this tank for 30 years of its life or maybe for its whole life until they pass so I think that the older that we got you know you start to really see it for what it was so I want to just tell you the quick story of Tilly come the orca so Tilly come he was actually born on uh, in December 1981 and his nickname is Tilly so Tilly was the same, he's the same one as, I want to say Tilly and Shamu were the same, but don't quote me on that because they may not have been. But I know he was born in 1981 and they made him captive probably subsequently three years later. So he would have been at SeaWorld or not. So don't quote me on that again. So he was a captive uh, male orca who spent most of his life at SeaWorld in Orlando. Um, he was captured actually in Iceland in 1983, and he was transferred to Sealand of Pacifica in Victoria, British Columbia. Now, he was subsequently transferred in 1992 to SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida, where he sired 21 calves throughout his life. Tilly was heavily featured in CNN Films. 2013 documentary Blackfish, which claims that orcas in captivity suffered psychological damage and became unnaturally aggressive. Tilly was involved in the death of three people. One was Kelty Brine. She was a trainer at the now defunct Sealand sea of the Pacifica. 
um, a Daniel P. Dukes. He was a man that was uh, trespassing in SeaWorld in Orlando. And the last one was his trainer, SeaWorld trainer Don Branchu. Now, Tilly was the largest orca in captivity. He measured at 22.5 feet long and weighed about 12,500 pounds. His pictorial fins were 7 feet long. His fluke curled under and his 6.5 feet tall dorsal fin was collapsed completely to his left side. So it sounds like he had kind of like a deformity right there. Um, so his origin goes back to him being captured when he was 2 years old along with two young, other young orcas. Um, in 1983. So he was actually captured off eastern uh, Iceland after almost a year in a tank at the uh, Marine Zoo in Iceland. He was transferred to Sealand of Pacifica in Oak Bay, a suburb of City of Victoria on uh, Vancouver Island in Canada. At Sealand, he lived with two older female killer whales. Their names were Heidia uh, 2 and Nocta 6. As far as killer whales go, the female killer whales are higher social stature than the males and they're meaner. So whenever he was captured with those two, he was abused by both of those whales who behaved very aggressively towards him. It included forcing him into a smaller medical pool where trainers kept him for protection. So at night, they would just like tear his skin open at night, the other two uh, bigger female uh, orcas. So he was already going through substantial mental and like physical abuse when he was still just a baby whale. Um, so then it goes into the, into the fatalities. So they kind of build this because when you read the whole article, they build it to show you that he had psychological issues as well, you know, being in captivity. And then also from all of the pain that he was going through from being abused and then trained and all of that, SeaWorld was actually giving these whales, um, antibiotics. They were giving them volume. They were giving them antidepressants all sorts of things that no one knew anything about, pretty much. Um, so going through all of that and then mentally not well. So when you read about uh, Tilly, they call him the psychotic well. So that's a whole nother thing. Um, so the fatality start. So while orca attacks on humans in the wild are rare and no fatal attacks have ever been recorded, as of 2022, four humans have died due to interactions with captive orcas. So Tilly himself was involved in three of those deaths. Now the first death was on February 20th of 1991. Kelty Brand, she was 21 years old. She was a marine biology student and competitive swimmer. She slipped and fell into the pool containing Tilly, Heidi Atu, and Nocta Six while working as a part-time trainer at Sealand of the Pacifica. Now the three orcas submerged her, dragged her around the pool, preventing her from surfacing again. At one point, she reached the side and tried to climb out, but the orcas pulled her back into the pool. Other trainers threw her life rings, but the animals kept her away from it, ignoring the um, trainer's recall commands. So they were just ignoring him, the trainers completely. So she surfaced three more times before drowning, and it was several hours before her body could be recovered from the pool. So basically, whenever the whales got her in there, one of the trainers was, whenever he was describing it, he was stating that, oh, they had never been able to play with anything so lively before. Dude, are you serious? Is that how you speak about somebody that just got murdered by three whales? <laughs> like, they had never been able to play with anything before. They never had something so lively. So, yeah, she passed from that. And this is in front of crowds. Like, these are crowds at SeaWorld seeing this whenever these things happen. So, 
as a result of that. They didn't, because you know, these days if a dog bites you, they're putting that dog down. They can't put down a money-making 21,000 pound orca that's making all of this money at SeaWorld. So they basically, what they did was they moved Tilly to SeaWorld in Orlando at that time. And then they closed Sealand of the Pacific. So then the second death happened about seven, seven years later on July 6, 1999. A 27-year-old man, Daniel Dukes, was found dead over Tilly's back in his sleeping pool. So Dukes had visited SeaWorld the previous day, but then he stayed after the park closed and evaded security to enter the tank unclothed. That sounds creepy and nasty. But an autopsy was found, um, an autopsy actually found that he had numerous wounds, contusions, and abrasions covering his body and his genitalia had been bitten off. All allegedly caused by Tilly, despite numerous cameras around and inside the pool that are supposed to monitor the well-being of the orcas, SeaWorld claims the event was not captured at all. And the actual autopsy on the young man concluded that his cause of death was drowning. So, the medical examiner reports that no drugs or alcohol was found in Duke's system. Why are you creeping around SeaWorld after it closed and you're butt naked getting into a tank with a whale? That just doesn't sound right at all. And I don't like to say that people got what they deserve, especially when death is involved. But, come on, man. What were you doing? What were you doing? And then for your genitals, the, the whale bit off your genitals. What were you doing? <laughs> like, what? That's the second death. The third death was on February 24th, 2010. Now this is, yeah, this is, it looks like they're happening like in eight year successions. Okay, so the last one happened, Tilly killed Don, which was his, Don Branchu was his 40-year-old SeaWorld trainer. He had been training with her for 10 years, so I guess she felt a kinship to him, and he, you know, she felt one to him, like they, she loved that dolphin. So she was killed following a Dine with Shamu show. So she was the veteran trainer was rubbing uh, Tilly as part of a post show routine when the orca grabbed her by her ponytail and pulled her into the water. Some witnesses report seeing Tilly grab her by her arm or shoulder. He reportedly scalped her, then bit her arm and swallowed it during the attack. So her autopsy indicated that death by drowning and blunt force trauma. So after that, they still did not put the dolphin down, didn't, um, well, I'm sorry, the whale didn't um postpone any shows he returned to performing well no they did postpone the shows for about eight months it looks like he performed to uh he returned to performing in 2011 and basically no other trainers would get into the pool with him anymore you know rightfully so um and high pressure water hoses were used to massage him rather than hands and removable guardrails were used on platforms as OSHA at that point had restricted close contact between orcas and trainers. So when you look at this, you're like, why didn't they just release him back out into the wild? Well, I'll tell you why. Now, after Tilly had actually killed his trainer, um, for 45 minutes after, he kept Don's broken body in the pool with him. Despite attempts from the other trainers to distract him with nets and food, he just kept the body. So eventually they managed to get him into a smaller medical pool where he was easier to calm and he finally released the body of the trainer. So following her death, he was uh, said to spend most of his days in a pool rarely seen by the public. So there are reports that he would spend hours on end just laying on the surface of the water and that he 
died eventually um, at the Florida attraction in January 2017. And they're saying that he died from a broken heart. And, you know, of course, nobody can fully know, but it does sound like he had remorse after he killed her because he kept her body for 45 minutes. Now, back to what I was saying, um, the reason that they couldn't let can't release the dolphins after they get to a certain age or and after they've been in captive for so long and this is actually uh from a marine biologist um that gave her input after he had passed so she basically said his life was hell he likely was mad before he passed as all the orcas and dolphins are because they're brilliant they should be swimming thousands of miles at a time hunting in packs having fins that stay erect not dying in their teens also, the article didn't mention that they kept him alive even after killing so many because they were using him as a sperm machine all of his mature life until he was sick. They made millions off his sperm, and of course that led to more orcas in captivity. So Blackfish is actually a documentary that you guys should look at. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I am going to watch it. Um, so after Blackfish, that's when SeaWorld was under attack, and that's when they were pushed to close SeaWorld. They do like educational shows now. They don't do any um, showings of the, um, they don't show any, any whales anymore. I don't even think any whales are in captivity anymore. So I think SeaWorld is just for educational purposes. Even if they were to get released out into the open, they wouldn't, in, into the wild, they wouldn't know how to swim. So um, yeah, they're carrying so many diseases that would kill other uh, whales out in the ocean. They don't know how to swim thousands of miles anymore. They don't know how to hunt with a group or alone. They would die and take others with them. So they're stuck in those tiny tanks, slowly going insane, and it's a breeding program. So it's about greed and profit. And see, the only good thing about SeaWorld was that they would they would rescue sea, sea life sometimes. Other than that, it really was just for the show and to make huge executives money. And Essentially, I know we all like to go to the zoo and we like to go to SeaWorld and I'm not trying to be a stick in the mud. I'm just saying when you really look at it, yeah, all of those animals are in captivity. For my label 1976 music spotlight for this episode, I chose Pebbles. I chose Pebbles because Pebbles was a force to be reckoned with whenever she was out as a solo artist prior to her becoming TLC's manager. Um, so I'm going to try to just stick with the music on this because it's very difficult I will say to stick to the music on this one and her solo um, endeavors prior because there's so much. It's so convoluted when you go through Pebbles and everything and with TLC and all of that. And I would have to break down a whole episode by itself with TLC and bring Pebbles into that, that whole thing. So I'm thinking of doing that. Um, actually, I know I will do that. So stay tuned for that. Perry Arlette Reed, she wears many hats. Uh, so she chose the stage name Pebbles. Um, as a nickname. It's a family name. Um, she was born in 1964. Now, Pebbles is also, she's a woman with many hats. She's a singer-songwriter, businesswoman, record producer, and music executive. Um, now, in the 1980s is when her career actually started, her solo career. So, in the late 80s um, and early 90s, she had a song called, solo called Girlfriend. That was 1987. Mercedes Boy was 1988. Giving You the Benefit was 1990, and Love Makes Things Happen, which was a duet with Babyface in 1990. All of those uh, singles were hits, every single one of them, and she had great stage presence. I used to love me some pebbles. I mean, you're talking about what women are now and what they, a lot of people want to be on social media and stuff like that. She was already all of that in the 80s. 
she was and she's beautiful i've always really um like pebbles i actually have an aunt that looks like pebbles it's crazy <laughs> my aunt sue shout out to aunt sue but um yeah pebbles was awesome i loved her solo career i mean she definitely made you want to go and get a mercedes and ask a boy if you want to ride in it she did she did her job so um she's actually of mixed descent both of her parents were mixed african-americans and um, her parents divorced when she was around six and her mother raised her and her siblings so she got her actually start her her actual start at um 198 in 1980 actually she was a background vocalist for construction um confunction confunction i don't know why i want to call them construction i just do but she was a um yeah, she was a background singer for Confunction. They were a huge funk band back in the day. Uh, she actually wrote one of their singles, Body Lovers, and a local musician gave her a production deal, which fell through several months later when she became pregnant with her daughter. Um, she was working at a real estate office in Oakland, California, and she met a contractor named George Smith, who she would later marry. Now, George Smith, her, her husband then, he gave her the money, uh, which was like 80000 for a demo tape and a video for Mercedes Boy. Talking about investing. Invest in this uh, commodity. <laughs> so um, she recorded her singles on her own during the 90s and the 80s. She recorded Girlfriend on her own, Mercedes Boy, Giving You the Benefit. She recorded Love Makes Things Happen. That's why I always tell people that songwriting credit, that songwriting credit, you may not have a beat to it yet. But you just write the song and get a melody for it. Somebody can get a melody for it or get someone to give you some music for it. Hey, those songs be... Usually those songs are hit cause, hits because they're from the heart. Actually, I didn't... I just found this out today that Pebbles and Sherelle, which is also another one of my favorites from back in the day, Sherelle um, is her cousin. And so uh, she featured Sherelle on one of her um, singles, her and Johnny Gill, called Always. And that was in 1991. She actually formed a production company on her own, uh, Pebby Tone, and founded her own record label, Savvy Records. She managed, that's when she went into managing TLC, and they were actually signed to her then-husband, L.A. Reed's record label, LaFace Records. So, basically, when TLC filed for bankruptcy in 1995, they stated that Pebbles was, it was, it was due to mismanagement regarding their funds. So, what Pebbles did um, as a not even a really retaliation, but to protect herself. Um, she went ahead and she divorced uh, Reed. And then she, she divorced L.A. Reed because at that time it had just damaged their marriage. And she sued LaFace for $10 million. Um, In 1997, she underwent a religious conversion. So now she goes by the name of Sister Perry. And she founded Women of God Changing Lives Ministries. So she's an ordained minister now, and she preaches and ministers through song. You know who else is um, ordained minister of ministry, ministry over song? Is Montel Jordan. You know, this is how we do it. And he actually has a church here in Norcross, Georgia. He's the minister, yeah, he's the um, minister over music in this church in Norcross, Georgia. We've been meaning to go to that. But yeah, so yeah, that's like the second person that I've heard of that goes into um, religious ministry so uh, she actually released a fourth album and her debut gospel album album Prof prophetic flows uh, volume one and volume two and they peaked on number number 12 on the billboard gospel album chart i've never heard that album before in my life didn't know that she created another one gotta look gotta look for that 
Um, and in February 2011, she was named the executive producer host of Essence National National R&B Search. Hey, she knows how to she knows how to pick the talent. Got to give it to her. And that is my label 1976 music spotlight for this episode, Pebbles. Hope you learned something and I hope you enjoyed that. So that concludes my episode for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're new to tuning in, thank you. And if you're returning, thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. You can also follow me at true underscore strob on Instagram and on Facebook under the same name, true underscore strob. Um, And look for these episodes every week. Just be sure to click on your notification button wherever you're listening to the podcast so that you're aware of when the podcasts come up. I would truly appreciate it. Um, You can also email me at label976 at gmail.com. You have to spell out the numbers. And um, I look forward to hearing from you guys. And in the meantime, in between time, please remember it's good to be loved, but it's profound to be understood.